doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus in the manger. No, there's a prequel story, how all these characters came to be in this story, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So everyone stand up for the reading of God's Word. This is Luke chapter 1. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled in the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them, and they realized from his gestures and his silence, he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home, and soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Let's pray. Father, thank you. And Jesus, happy birthday. At Christmas, you remind us no matter what our circumstances or what has happened, we have not been forgotten. And everyone said, you may be seated. All right, so you probably already know that we're big Star Wars fans in my family, right? So, so we went to go see the latest movie, Rogue One. Has anyone else been there? Have you seen this yet? 
Where's my people at? Now, instead of being a continuation of the Star Wars storyline, it gives a backstory to the events of of the classic 1977 New Hope Star Wars movie, you know, with the one where Luke Skywalker, the farm boy, he blows up the Death Star. He becomes the hero of the galaxy. But Rogue One is a transition story. It shows a period where the Empire is strong and the rebellion is weak and, and they're desperate. And it reveals why the glaring weakness of the Death Star was built into it and how the rebels got their hands on those classified plans. And essentially, this movie shows why Luke could even destroy the Death Star. You see, Luke gets a lot of glory, but here you see all that went into making that moment possible. And that's kind of what we're seeing here. What we're about to witness is the Rogue One hinge point upon which the Christmas story hangs, and it opens up into a bold story of new hope for mankind and the return of God's glory and presence in the world. This is the Christmas prequel, and there's a death star here in the Bible. It's religion. It's become political, and it's become corrupt, and now they still had priests and rituals and and blood sacrifice and a temple and incense and all of that, but, but there's a glaring weakness here. The Shekinah, the glory of God, is gone. The visible, shining presence of God that rested in the temple and hovered over the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. You see, hundreds of years earlier, the prophet Ezekiel witnessed the Shekinah leave the temple because of the idolatry and the rebellion of God's people. And no one had seen it or the Ark of the Covenant since the invasion of Babylon. So not only has his presence not been seen, but God hasn't spoken through a prophet to anyone for 400 years. So I I want you to imagine here for a moment that you are a pastor, okay? And imagine that every day when you come to church and every week when you stand up to preach a message or to sing a song, there is no presence of God. There's no sense of his spirit. There's no sense of his anointing or his touch on anything that you do. And the words that you speak fall flat. And the songs that you sing feel empty. And they don't move anyone. And they don't move you. And I think it's fair to say that that we've all experienced seasons of dryness. Am I right? But this one has been going on for 400 years. You know, we've experienced those times when we're going through the motions or there's no life, passionless. Zechariah knew that his religion had become corrupted at the highest levels because in violation of God's law, Herod had installed his own high priest who was a wicked man. And every time Zechariah went to the temple, God wasn't there. Israel was spiritually dead. And in his personal life, There was a kind of death. Zechariah had no children. His wife, Elizabeth, was barren. And so together and privately, they walked through deep disappointment and pain as they watched their friends become pregnant and raise families. You see, at the time, it was considered shameful not to have children. If you were barren, you were considered cursed by God. 
So here is Zechariah, and he's walking out his faith, living in a spiritually dead land with only a period after his name in the family tree. But then comes his time to enter the sanctuary and burn the incense. You see, at the time, only certain people at certain times of the year could even think about approaching God. Only one priest could enter into that holy place. Only he could take the incense and pour it on the altar. Everyone else, all you sinners were told, go no further. And what a thrill for him to be chosen. This This was a a once-in-a-lifetime honor. I hope you know this. In fact, a priest who had won this honor could never be included in future lotteries. But God appointed for him to finally go to Jerusalem. And the whole searching of the supervisor priest's fingers among the hundreds of pieces of wood in that box and his selection of the one piece with Zechariah's name on it was all directed by God. For all of his lineage, all of his religious training, all of his education, for all of his personal affirmation of the truth of God, Zechariah had no expectation that after 400 years of silence, God was about to speak to him. He was absolutely unprepared to see an angel here in God's temple. And Luke records, Zechariah, he was shaken to the core. And Gabriel, you know, by now he must be like, again? What is with God's people? They say they believe in miracles, but every time I show up, it's like, ah! I mean, is it me? Is it them? It's them, right? But here God steps into another place that's dead, Elizabeth's womb, right? And brings life again. Gabriel says, you will have a son. The prophet Ezekiel records in chapter 37 these words from God. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them. You see, God says one of the ways that you're going to know it's me and that I'm the only true God, I make dead things alive. But even more than bringing new life to Zechariah and Elizabeth, God steps into a place of spiritual death and he brings us Jesus. Jesus, the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Hear me here. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to bring dead people and dead things back to life. And to a place completely devoid of the presence of God. Suddenly God appears. God himself lives and breathes and walks and speaks and moves with people that he loves. And where there was spiritual starvation... God's spirit is now poured out over the whole world and you can literally have as much of the presence of God as you want. I love Zechariah because he is the forgotten Christmas story. Not many messages about him, certainly not featured in any Christmas movies. He himself felt forgotten. And here is, I think, what this helps us understand about God. Gabriel's first words to Zechariah were, don't be afraid. Do you ever see in those movies where, where aliens or superheroes or transformers, you know, they, they descend on an unsuspecting public and everyone is running and screaming in fear? I've never seen a scene in any of those movies where, where they say, hey, everybody, don't be afraid. But God does. He says it 365 times in his word because he cares. He doesn't want you living 
in fear. And Gabriel does not say here that everything's going to be fine. He doesn't say, Zechariah, you will never have another problem ever, ever. Merry Christmas. No. He, let's just put to rest the myth that if you have strong faith, you will never have another problem again. Or bad things will never happen to you. It's not that God is asking us not to be afraid because nothing bad is ever going to happen. No, it's that he wants us to arrive at a place of trust and confidence in him that we can imagine or be in the worst case scenario and look it dead in the eye and say, so, I know in whom I believe and I am not afraid of you. Amen. Psalm 118, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? God is with you. God is for you. You cannot lose for winning. And like Obi-Wan says in A New Hope, strike me down and I will become more powerful than you could ever imagine. No matter what comes your way, if you put your faith in God and stop being afraid, you will have access to power that no one can possibly imagine. Next thing Gabriel says, God has heard you. Luke describes Zechariah and Elizabeth this way. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Even though the presence of God wasn't in their temple, Zechariah faithfully kept serving even though it looked like God had abandoned them because they couldn't have children. Zechariah and Elizabeth stayed faithful to each other, and they kept doing what was right, even after all hope was gone. You see, in Genesis, God had promised that a Savior would come through a woman's son, but because Zechariah and Elizabeth couldn't have children, Zechariah knew, I'm out of the running. Not only would he not get to raise the Messiah, he, he wouldn't even be in the lineage. He would have no part in bringing him into the world. Zechariah was a nobody. And his everyday reality seemed to reinforce that. And the neighbors and the co-workers whispered about it. And he thought, you don't have kids. God isn't in the place where you work. He's left you. He's turned his back on you. And you know he believed it. Because when the, if the angel Gabriel shows up, he's befuddled. You see, if he really believed that God was going to use him, if he was going to be somebody in the story of Messiah, when Gabriel showed up, he would have said, about time. But no, Zechariah says, I'm old. And Gabriel says, yeah, and I'm Gabriel. How many of us think we're out of the running to be a part of God's plan to save the world because of our weaknesses and our deficiencies and our failures? God can't use me because I'm too old. God can't use me. I'm too young. God can't use me. I don't have a job. God can't use me because I have a job. God can't use me because my family's all messed up. God can't use me. My family's too normal. At Christmas, we begin to understand God loves to use people who are faithful and who find themselves in impossible situations. 
He says, it's because you are weak, I'm strong. You see, God never asks us to be great. He asks us to be faithful. He's looking for the overlooked and the underdogs and the nobodies and the weak and the helpless. And time and time again in Scripture, he looks for those who are unlikely but who are faithful, quietly doing what is right. And all of us, like Zechariah, we seem to focus on all the reasons why God would never use me. But here is the beautiful thing. Zechariah's name means God has remembered. All those years of pain, of emptiness, of being isolated, feeling abandoned and hopeless. And Gabriel comes to Zechariah and he says, you are Zechariah. God has remembered. Old and washed up might be who you think you are. But this is who you really are. God hears you. He does remember you. And right now, the very meaning of your name, the very meaning of your life is for this moment when you and your wife and your son will take on your roles in the story of Jesus and in the destiny of mankind. And he tells them, you will have joy and gladness. And here's the fulfillment of that. Luke chapter 1. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. And when the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed. There's no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to you know, ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. And instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God, and awe fell on the whole neighborhood, and the news of what happened spread throughout the Judean hills, and everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. And then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. And now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham, we have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break on us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. 
and to guide us to the path of peace. You see, Zechariah, he finds joy. And he doesn't say, I'm so happy because you're so cute and I always wanted a little boy. No, that's not what he says. His joy is not just in having a family. You see, if you went home this afternoon and you found everything that you ever wanted under your Christmas tree, you still wouldn't have joy and gladness. Because true joy comes when we take our place in the story. God has chosen to make us a part of his saving the world. John is going to shine a light in the darkness and rescue those who are lost and wounded. He is preparing the way, and our purpose is John's purpose. We are the superheroes, bringing the lost to their creator, bringing the dead to the resurrecting Savior, and showing them how Jesus can take the things that have died in their lives and make them alive again. Your dead relationships, your dead religion, your dead hopes and dreams, let Jesus make them come alive. I'm going to say something here, and I don't know if I like, need to give you a trigger warning or you know, if you need a safe space, but I just want to say here, God doesn't need you, and he didn't need Zechariah. He's God. He can do whatever he wants, regardless of us. So why bother with us at all? You see, he doesn't need us preaching the good news. He doesn't need us feeding the hungry or clothing the naked or casting out evil spirits or providing for orphans or widows. This is the whole reason that God chose Joseph and Mary. This is why he had his son born in a stable. That's why Jesus wasn't born to a a powerful politician or a best-selling author or a celebrity, or a world-famous evangelist, or a Wall Street executive. He wasn't born in a castle. He wasn't born in a presidential suite at the Ritz-Carlton. He chose to be born to a poor working-class family in a dirty, smelly stable to show us he doesn't need anything that we can give him. He doesn't need our influence He doesn't need our talent. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need us. He wants us. He chooses us. He wants us to work with him. Because, you know, he sees that day when he destroys evil forever, when he establishes his kingdom spiritually and physically here on the earth, when he is conqueror and king and he reigns eternal and he wants us with him. He wants us to have a share in that victory. He wants us to be a part of his story. And I imagine when we are gathered at the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven and everyone's telling stories and it's, you know, exciting and it's loud and everyone's talking about the things that they did with Jesus, the battles that they fought and won, the miracles that they got to be a part of. He doesn't want a bunch of mindless robots going through the motions. He's called us and chosen us to prepare everyone for Jesus, King of Kings. And Jesus says of John, 
I tell you the truth. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What was it that made John the greatest of prophets? You know, if John had ever performed a miracle, it wasn't recorded. You know, John preached a fiery message of repentance, but so did all of the other prophets. Every prophet before John said, Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. But it was John who said, the Messiah is here. Behold, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sins of the world. And our purpose is John's purpose, to shine the light of truth in our generation, to bring a message of hope and salvation through Jesus, and to prepare the way for his appearing. So our lives should say, Messiah is here. The Savior is here. He has come to bring you life. You are not forgotten. You have been remembered. He has remembered you. The way that we speak and the way that we live must inspire repentance and draw others to put their hope in Jesus And a generation is coming who will not only say, Jesus is coming, but will witness it with their own eyes. Because of Christmas, Zechariah, a nobody with no children, no hope, becomes the uncle of the Messiah because he was faithful. And whenever King Jesus wants to have a small, intimate family gathering, guess who's there? I want my uncle there, Zachariah. I want my earthly dad, the carpenter. And he's going to gather around him people that society forgot and that those in power overlooked as insignificant. He does not call the great. Instead, It's, oh, come, all ye faithful. He is bringing new hope to you today. And through you, he's bringing new hope to the world. Are you glad about that?